Welcome to Bethel Brandon's Sunday Message. Please head over to our website, BethelBrandon.ca, to figure out how we can best serve Father's Day. Happy Father's Day. And uh, I want to say something to encourage our dads, because sometimes we don't encourage our dads on Father's Day. And I often come to the realization when we challenge our fathers uh, to perform a task which is impossible to do without God. And uh, so that's my goal today, to do that. It's funny how holidays sometimes bring the best out in us. Um, usually, though, that's Christmas. You kind of hear those Christmas kind of tug your heart stories of people who do good works or they, they pay it ahead, that or maybe Thanksgiving or even Valentine's Day. But you don't often hear of something like that happening um, on Father's Day. But there was a story that happened a couple of years ago that I kind of had come across. And people say, how do you, where do you get all these stories? Well, you know, sometimes when I'm studying, I see them, and sometimes I stumble upon them, and sometimes I hear other people tell the story, so I steal them. So those are the ways, study, stumble, steal. That's kind of how I get the stories. But there was something that happened a couple of years ago in, uh, in Indiana, and what was happening was there was kind of a, uh, it was Father's Day, and they, there was, they were at a McDonald's, and, and I'm not too sure exactly how they, how they kind of run their, their drive-thru. But at this particular drive-thru, you kind of got your food, and then you paid afterwards. And so there was this lady, and she was sitting there on Father's Day, and she looks in her rearview mirror, and she sees this guy with four kids in his car. And they got like four Happy Meals, and they got like a, a, a McDonald's, combo or, or whatever. He has a whole bunch of stuff and everything going on. And she looks at him and sees him as a dad. And she says, you know what? She goes to when she pays. She says, Here, here's mine. But I want to pay for this dad who's behind me, who's doing such a great job as a father. And so I'm going to pay for him as well. And just make sure you tell him from the person ahead, happy Father's Day. Very nice. For those wishing to do that, let me get behind you when I'm parking through no. So this father was touched by it, and he said, I would like to pay for the person behind me. And that person paid for the person behind him. And that happened 10 times, and it turned to 20 times, and it turned to 100 times. And finally, when they closed, 167 times it happened. They're incredible. There's something, there's something about generosity, something about paying it forward that, that is a special thing that takes place, isn't it? Generosity is scarce in this world. And even in small doses, we have that deeper impact that it is deeper than we think. And I believe this. There are two times when we are most like God. When we give and we forgive. And I think that that is one of the cruxes of Father's Day, is the ability to be generous. And not necessarily generous with, with the money, but generous with ourselves. So that's something that we need to take a look at as we look at Father's Day. Now this might surprise you, but next year is the 50th anniversary of the song Cats in the Cradle. 
Remember the song, Cats in the Cradle, written by uh, an individual who was, I'm trying to his name, Harry Chapin. Remember the story? And the cats in the cradle and the silver spoon, right? About a dad who comes and, and the son wants to really get to know him. And he says, yeah, yeah, I'll do it later. Well, you know, we're going to have a good time then. We all have a good time then. You know how the story goes. If you have not heard that song, folks, you've been in the dark too long. The 50th anniversary. It was written in, in 1974. Couldn't believe it when I read that. And as they begin to talk about the song, I found out that the song was actually based on a poem that his wife wrote, which goes to show you that every, behind every good man, there's a wife who's actually really doing the work. So it was a poem that she wrote and it happened because their son Josh was going to be born, but because he was so busy, he missed the birth of their first son. And so she writes this poem out. And as he's talking about this song, he basically says this. He says, it's kind of amazing because we learn life's lessons way too late. We learn lessons before, if we, we don't learn lessons before the fact. We don't have a child born and have all the wisdom. We kind of learn as we go don't we? And so wouldn't it be good to have the wisdom before or as we're going along? So what I wanted to do today is I wanted to share from two powerful passages of Scripture. And you may think that they don't belong together, but I think that, that there's something in both of them that should speak to our hearts, to everybody's heart today. The first one is found in Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, a popular passage of Scripture. And it goes like this. I urge you, brethren... By the mercies of God, to present your bodies as living and holy sacrifice, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. Verse 2 goes on and says this, And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may prove what is the will of God, or what God's will is, which is good and acceptable and perfect. Wave at me if you've heard that passage of scripture before. It's an extremely powerful passage of scripture. I believe one of the most powerful passages in the New Testament, but it does not stand alone. The very next verse, Paul goes on to say, you know what? Don't think of yourselves too highly. Think of yourselves soberly. And then he begins to talk about what is called the service gifts. Gifts that God gives us to be able to serve one another and to serve in the church. This is where that passage is found, the service gifts. And so Paul, in essence, as he's talking about this, says, you know what? True service comes through true surrender. You have to surrender yourself to God. You need to maintain a level of stability in God before you can actually be able to serve and that's an important thing to understand. And um, when, when you, you read that, it says something to us. I discovered that Father's Day is a much different service. Have you found that? Mother's Day, Father's Day, a little bit different? Different tone, different atmosphere? No. As I've taken a look at, at the statistics, we spend over twice as much on on moms as we do on dads. And I'm really arguing with that. Uh, in two weeks, I'm going to, uh, 
I'm going to Blues Fest in Ottawa to be with my kids, and we're going to go to this festival together. And so for Father's Day, they bought me a really nice, comfortable chair. It's great. Then I realized I can't take that chair back with me on the phone, on the plane. I think they bought that chair for themselves. <laughs> Not really. Not really. But it's kind of funny how we, we tend to honor or we tend to um, adore our moms a little bit more. Is that true? You find that? There was a time a couple of years ago where I had a brilliant idea. On Mother's Day, I was going to ask mothers to take some time during the service to talk about their mother, to honor their mother in front of the congregation. And I had many moms or many people come forward. I would like to do it. I would like to do it. I'll volunteer. I could have had 16 moms volunteer. And it was such a great idea that I said, for Father's Day, it'll be just as good. And I did not get one father, one person to get up and talk about their dad. Now, there are people afterwards, of course, this always happens. Oh, I was supposed to. I said that I was going to. And then they, then they, they didn't. But I found it surprising that there was so much of a response for the moms and not as much a response for the dads. And then I asked myself, would I be able to? All of a sudden, I discovered that I don't know if I would have been able to go up because of some of the things that happened uh, in my, my childhood. I, I didn't know if I would be able to adequately testify. And your mind might be racing as to why this is the fact. One conclusion I have come to is the fact that the church, the kingdom of God, is in desperate need of men to be men of God. And let me just encourage you by saying that your job is important. It is crucial. It is immeasurable. It is irreplaceable. And so we read about the importance of a father through Scripture. One particular scripture, which I think is particularly important, is, is Luke chapter 15, verses 11 to 32. Jesus gives one of the most popular and amazing stories about the love of a father. It's known as the prodigal son. Many of us know the story. It's about of a son, a, boy, a man who has a father who has two boys, and one of the boys, the younger one, of course, says, Dad, I'm sick and tired of the arrangement right now. I want my inheritance now, and I want out of here. Now, for those who follow the story, realize that to state a statement like that in that particular culture, basically you're saying, Dad, I wish you were dead. As a matter of fact, I am going to treat you like I'm that. And the father, to the surprise of everyone who was listening, accommodates him, gives him the money. And so what happens is he goes out, and he goes off to what is called a far-off country, and he spends his money on what the King James Version calls it. And I like the way the King James Version says it, King James Version, riotous living. Isn't that a great term? Riotous living. What happens, inevitably, for those of us who know the story, is a famine takes place, and it's an extremely bad famine. And he has no, no longer money to support himself. As a matter of fact, it gets so bad and the famine is so bad that he does not know what to do. So he hires himself off to a person in that particular land who had a pig farm. And he still didn't have food, but he had to feed the pigs food. And he gets to the point where he's so hungry that he wishes that he could eat 
the pig food. And being depressed and being discouraged and being homeless, he comes to a conclusion. He says, you know what? I can always go back home. Of course, I can't be considered his son anymore, but like, I know that there's hired hands who actually eat. And so, so he, he makes up this speech and he repeats it and he repeats it. And as he's walking home, he thinks that he is going to be able to somehow figure things out. We'll pick up the story in verse 20. So he got up, went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the breast robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger. Put sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And it says, So they began to celebrate. Now, as you study that passage of Scripture, there are many commentators who feel that we lose a lot over the generations as to what was actually happening. The many of the commentators, as they study the story, they said, you know what? At that particular time, this may have been one of the most amazing and controversial stories that Jesus tells. That as the people were listening to this, they were kind of had their jaws opening, saying, really, I don't understand that. that was just, everything that was happening was, went absolutely, totally against what the culture had dictated at that particular time. The fact that the fact that the, the level of the insult, the fact that there, there had to be some kind of payment or punishment for this. Many people think that one of the most amazing things as they were watching was the fact of, a, of the, the owner, a distinguished rich man, lifting his dress or his garment and running and looking like a fool to get to his son. They would have been astonished at that act alone. And we miss actually, and we, we, through the translation and through the years, we miss the passion of the dad. And so as I read these scriptures, Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, and, and Luke chapter 15, which talks about the prodigal son, and I read the significance of fatherhood, I wanted to highlight three important things to understand about fatherhood that should lead to an all-encompassing thing. And I basically call them enlightenments. Fatherhood enlightenments. And the hope is to raise men up instead of tearing them, to reveal the fact that what you do has huge eternal consequences of the role. And the encouragement is for you to leave this place and see these and honor God through them. So it's enlightenment number one. Enlightenment number one is this, that fathers are what we call trailblazers. Whether you like it or not, you set the tone in the house. That the father of the prodigal did this. He didn't conform to the standards of the world. But he set the tone. And I believe that we're called to do the same. This is seen throughout history. And it is seen through statistics that we have recently had. There was a study which was done. And I know that I have mentioned this before on previous Father's Day. But it's so amazing to mention this. That I want you to know. That one of the... One of the things they had found, they studied about 20 years ago, was the attendance of parents, which led to the attendance of those children as they became adults, actually maintaining the faith and attending church. And they found that many times, if just the mother went to church, 
that the lowest percentage of children continued on attending church. Didn't mean that none of them did. It was just the lowest percentage. And they found that it increased significantly when a husband and a wife, when both parents attended church regularly, that child would go on and attend church into their adulthood. But the amazing thing of this particular statistic was in instances where the father went alone to church without the mom, that they maintained amongst the highest percentage of children that would go on to attend church. Now, I know that there are variables in a lot of statistics. I know that this was not just the evangelical church, but it was just mainline and evangelical churches as well. There's a number of things that we could say in observations. But what it talks about, dads, is that when it comes to God moving in kids' lives, that they will follow the lead of the Father in terms of their faith. Now, there are other statistics which Barna bring out that talk about when you talk to adults in church and they talk about the most significant people in their lives, it's mom, followed by dad, but it's mom. But there's something that happens that we don't know about, something that secretly happens, that when a child sees the dad serving Jesus with all of his heart, they are more adept to go and attend and serve Jesus at that time. There's even new statistics which talk about the importance of male Sunday school teachers, the impact that they have as well. This is an incredible thing when you stop and consider all of the things that, that, that take place. That's why we need to realize that whether you like it, men or not, you lead. That God has somehow in the DNA of men caused us to have a great amount of influence. That's why the scripture says in Ephesians 5, man, you need to lead your home. As Christ loved the church, that's how you're supposed to love your family. Girls, if you marry an unsaved guy, you greatly reduce the chances of your children serving the Lord and going to heaven. Well, how can you say that? Well, I'm not. Scripture says that. Statistics are showing that. Whether you like it, Dad, you lead. Despite what the feminist movement says, you lead. This is what the Word of God says. And the Bible says that if you lead your family, not as the world leads, tells you, you need to lead the word by not having your mind conformed to this world, but being transformed by Christ. That's an important thing. You lead. I remember my first years of ministry were in, in Coburg, Ontario. And the wonderful thing about Coburg, Ontario is that the Eastern Ontario District um, Pentecostal Camp was one kilometer outside of the city. Not an hour, like we're just like an hour out of the Pentecostal camp. This was like a kilometer. I would imagine now it is probably part of the city. And the great thing about it was, and I think I'm going back like, uh, you know, 35 years sort of thing. At that particular time, some of the greatest pioneers, Tom Johnson, the first one of the first uh, general superintendents was there. He had a cabin there. And, and people who did significant things for God, seniors were there. And so I had an opportunity to, to be able to sit and talk and, and glean from a number of these huge, wise people. And I remember we had a guest, uh, guest speaker. Dick Bombay was his name and did incredible things for God. And as he was, he was talking, he makes this statement on a Father's Day. He says, husbands, love your wives and lead your home and lead your kids and love your kids. 
And if you do, they'll love you for it. And if you don't, they'll despise you for it. It's time for us to lead. Guys, you are the trailblazers. And it's important for us to understand that, to come to the realization is that although it doesn't appear that way, although, although I don't feel that way, that God has somehow constructed it that way. Enlightenment number one. Enlightenment number two is this, that fathers are targeted as a result of the fact that we are the trailblazers and that God has kind of created us in that way. We need to realize that we are at the aim of the spiritual battle. Now, there are so many people that come to church, and, and, and most of us believe in Jesus, and we believe in the Word of God, and maybe you're watching online, and I'm not too sure where you are in terms of your faith. Maybe you don't believe that at all. But I'll, I think that we'll believe this, all believe this, that if you were in a war, one of your best strategies would be to kill or destroy or negatively influence the leader. And so, for that reason, I think that Satan will do everything he can in his power to destroy men. To keep them from developing a prayer life. To keep them from reading the word of God. To keep them to making church a priority or regularly seeing it as a priority. For being an influence to your kids. To occupy your time and interest on other things. You may notice, but there's a huge target on your back. Satan will do whatever he can to lure you away to make you men take the easy road, to say, I'm just going to stay at home and watch TV, to create an excuse. Don't be duped by the devil. Any wife or mother here, or child here needs to be aware of this spiritual attack as well and to pray accordingly. Ephesians 6 says that our wrestle is not against flesh and blood. Satan will paralyze men by shame of secret sin and past sin. He'll make you feel inadequate, unqualified, undeserving, You'll just give up that part of your life. I'm sure that's how the prodigal fathers felt. How can my son feel this way about me? How could he go away? What were the things that I did wrong? I'm a failure as a father. Satan will do everything that he possibly can to get you to choose to go another way. That's why we need to be living sacrifices. Because it is impossible. The job of fatherhood is not something you can do on your own. It's a great book that was written a number of years ago. It was called Chasing Day Daylight. It's of an individual who was a CEO of an accounting company. And, and what happened was he got inoperable brain cancer. And so what he did is in the last three and a half months of his life, he put together what was called a manual on how to die. But in writing it, it became a manual on how to live. And as he begins to describe what was going on in his life, he began to say, you know what, I had all these things and I had all these attitudes and I felt like I was an eagle on the top of a mountain and then one day the mountain was gone. And I began to wonder a few things and he makes a number of observations. He says, I come to realize that some of the things that I thought were extremely important, some of the methods that I employed could have been used better. That the things that I thought were important come to realize are not so important after all. And that there are things that I missed and there were things that I messed. Isn't that like the devil? The devil will change the price tags. You ever notice that? 
He will put great value to things that aren't really valuable. And he will put little value on things that are of ultimate value. He will seduce you into climbing a ladder all of a sudden to realize that the ladder is on the wrong wall. We need to pray for our men because they are extremely important. At least the devil knows this. The devil sees every man in this room and everyone who is watching online as a threat to his kingdom. Men's a trailblazer. Men's are, men are targets. Here's one that I believe to be absolutely true. Enlightenment number three. I believe that men are troubled. I've come to realize that. Perhaps the most moving part of the story of the prodigal son was the statement, which was this. While he was far off. You find that an amazing statement in that particular story. It means something. It implies that he was waiting. It implies that he was watching. It, it would imply that he was worrying, even worshiping God and saying, God, help me. I don't know what to do. I remember when my first child was born. Can you remember that? Men and ladies have children. I remembered that you need to be aware of women that have contractions because they can bite your arm off in a second. I stayed close away when those contractions came. But there was something that happened when my first child was born. Remember that? For those of you, you, this child is born and they place this child in your hands. And I remember sitting there and saying, I don't want to be the same guy that my dad was. Don't want to make the same mistakes. And you know what? I know my father dealt with alcoholism and absenteeism and even atheism and all those things kind of sent him to a, an, early, an early grave. But here's the thing. Somebody forgot to give me the dad manual. Here's the baby. I'll put the, da the dad manual beside you here so you can read it over. There is no dad manual, is there? I wish that there was. There were a few times I wish I could take a look at it. It wasn't as easy as I thought. There were doubts. There was, there was no example. There was no patterns in me. And sometimes I had to beat the path down myself. And there was huge pressure. And I wanted to supply. And I wanted to provide. And, and I believe that every dad who is listening to this right now knows exactly what I'm talking about. And as I look back, I was a troubled dad. I wanted to be good, but I didn't know how to. I was aware of my imperfection. I was aware of my flaws. And as I look back, I saw the same thing as my dad. I saw that my dad wanted to do a good job. They didn't give him the manual as well. Does anybody have the manual? If you have the manual, could you please bring it up to the front? I don't see anyone. I've come to find that many, if not most, dads are troubled. They're weighted down, that they feel helpless, that they're wanting to do the right thing and not, only, not always knowing how to do it. And there's pressures and there's demands and it's demoralizing. And in society, they, they demoralize you and you're disenchanted with your own ignorance and fear and depression. All those things come in. And young men are troubled by this. And older men 
are troubled by regret, trying to fix perhaps the things that they could have done right the first time. I have never, ever met one dad say to me, and I've been in ministry for over 35 years, I've never met one man who said, I don't really want to be involved in this kid's life. I really don't want to be a good dad. Never, not even once, not close. Contrarily, I've had many times in rooms where I've heard fathers cry out, I just want to be better. I don't know how to be. And the truth is, you can't be. Fatherhood is impossible. That's why they have verses like Proverbs 3, 5 that says, Trust in the Lord with all of your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. Acknowledge, all your ways acknowledge him. He will direct your paths. That's why it says in Galatians 5, 16, Therefore I urge you by the mercies of God to present your bodies, oh sorry, Romans 12, 1 and 2, to present your bodies as living sacrifices. Don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed. Galatians 5, 16, Walk in the Spirit. You won't gratify the, trust, the, the lust of the flesh. Fatherhood cannot be done alone. You need God. You need other godly people. All those things that God provides. It's troubling to be that. But it's something to realize that there's a God who will help you through. Last thing I wanted to say, if I'm going to conclude, is that fathers are torchbearers. They really are. You don't know whether you didn't realize that you were, but you are. And my encouragement for you is to realize that although you don't have all the answers and although there are times you've messed up, there's a God who is desiring to do the best through you. There's a book that was written a couple of years ago. It was called Man in the Mirror. And in it, there was a story. The story was of... Uh, a number of fishermen that flew up to Alaska and they did some salmon fishing. They had an absolute wonderful day, but by the end of the day they came and the plane, the pontoon plane that they came in on was all of a sudden on land because the tide had kind of gone out. And so they were kind of stuck. This plane was kind of in the mud. You need water to float on to be able to, 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 to take off and, and that. And so, so they said, we're just going to stay the night. We'll fly out the next day. Seemed like an easy thing. The tide had come in. The plane was there. And as they started to fly, they realized that a rock had perforated one of the pontoons and it was full of water. And so every time they tried to fly, every time they tried to get off the ground, it just plunged down. Tried it once, tried it twice, and it plunged down. And all of a sudden, the plane began to sink farther from shore than they were at the beginning. So all of a sudden, one of the men says, I'm going to pray and I'm going to hope that I can get and swim to the shore. And and he, he jumped out as he said a prayer. And the other one, he jumped out as he said a prayer. And they swam and they just, with every might of strength they went, they got to the shore. And then they looked at the third guy who had his 12-year-old son with him. And he saw the picture of the father with, holding on to the son. And they were being dragged out into the sea. And the riptide was strong. The father was a great swimmer. But the boy had not been strong enough to make it. And the father was a strong swimmer, but he had chosen to die with his son rather than to live without him. And as I read that story, that resonated with me. Because I don't think if my son was in a riptide and I was there, 
I would say, I'm going to swim to the shore and you're going to swim with me. And if I can't swim to the shore with me, then I'm not going to shore. Not going to do it. Not going to save my own life and watch my kid drown. I think that most men, if not every man, would be able to say, yes, that's me too. You know, and I think all men that relates to, I cannot stand by and let my son or my daughter drown. And we say that in a physical sense. But the challenge to me is this. Do I do the same thing spiritually? Do I do the same thing when it comes to the fact that there is heaven to gain and hell to avoid? Do I sit there and say, well, it's your own choice, son, then you just kind of swim on your own. Hey, daughter, it's all for you. You just go on your own. I don't think it's... I, I don't want to get on the shores of heaven alone. And neither do you. If at the very least, I'm going to do everything I can to pull my kids, to pull the people that I love with me as much as I can, because it's a whole lot more at stake than just physical life. Amen? And so the prayer for our dads is this. To throw off the condemnation and to cling to God with all of your heart, mind, and soul. And allow you, allow him to help you in the greatest way. Because at the very most, I can be praying every day for my kids who live in a totally different world than I have to hold on to them and drag them to shore myself. Amen? God, I just pray uh, that you will do something powerful today. And just as I'm here and every head is bowed, every eye is closed, people watching online, and you are here, and somehow the Spirit of God has kind of grabbed you. And you would be willing to say, God, I need your help. I need your help. Could you just signify to me today by a raised hand, say, yeah, pray for me. Can you pray for me? I need help. Thanks. All those who are here, those in the balcony, Lord, I, I, there are um, so many challenges in this world today. And I pray in God that we will be men of God that will stand and say, Lord, what I have, I give to you so that I can make a difference in the life of my son, the life of my daughter. Maybe it's a young man who's just at the front stage and those are fun time because our kids think that you are the most wonderful thing. They worship the ground that you're on and, and you're realizing, boy, I don't have the manual. I need God. God, I need you. Maybe, maybe there are men who are in their senior years and saying, oh, I didn't do too bad, but there's lots of ways that I just messed up. And uh, just praying that, that, that God, you will just help me in every single way. There's so many, so many instances and people in so many different places. But I just pray a prayer of surrender. God, we leave this place with the determination not just to be a good dad or a good mom or a good, good mom or a good grandchild, good father, grandfather, 
that we leave this place saying, God, I give you everything. And from that point of surrender, God, you will use me to be generous to my children and even those who we influence as men. You work in so many different ways. But I pray that blessing right now on every single person who responded. I pray for the power of the Holy Spirit. I pray this will be a changing moment. I pray, Father, that you will do much with the five loaves and two fishes that we have to offer you today. Because, Lord, you can do great things, Father, great things when we're totally surrendered to you. So move in a powerful way. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to this message. If you enjoyed it, please head over to BethelBrandon.ca to listen to our older messages or maybe connect with us and figure out how we can best serve you. Thanks for listening. Have a great day.